Hi there, and God bless you. I'm Pastor Brian Hallam. I'm so glad you're tuning into this message. I'm so glad you're allowing me to come into your home and share a little bit from God's Word. Today we're going to be talking about worship. And I don't want you to tune out. I want you to tune in. Because it might just be different than what you've thought all along. God bless you. Let's go to the message. I want you to know what we're going to talk about today is a little bit heavy. It's going to require some maturity. But I think we're ready for it. Can you say amen to that? John 4 and 23 says, The hour comes and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. And the Father, for the Father seeks such to worship Him. The Bible says the time is now when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. Spirit means the Holy Spirit. It means in spiritual matters. uh, But it also means passionately. So the Holy Spirit, from a concept of spiritual matters, that, that means from a, from a spirit-filled environment, a place where the Holy Spirit is not excluded. He is looking for people who will worship and not reject the presence of Almighty God. The Holy Spirit is a very prevalent part of our God, and He longs to be in and amongst His people. But the Bible also indicates in that word spirit the, the concept of some passion. So if your passion level does not validate that you actually think of God as the most important thing in your life, then your scale is out of balance. For example, if you yell and scream about your favorite basketball team, but you never even, you know, barely even like, like show anything when it comes to worshiping God, your balance for what you actually respond to is out of whack. Because what will happen is you'll come in here and you'll, the, the, the worship team will be singing or the minister will be preaching and it'll be no response and just, you, you just be acting like dead wood and any old piece of dead wood can float down a river, but it takes a live fish to swim upstream. Come on, somebody. But what happens is you, you, you get in your life, the Bible says you know a tree by its fruit. So you don't cut the tree down and look in the middle of the tree to find out what kind of tree it is. You look at what's hanging off of it. So if, you, if you've ever said something like this, I know I'm hard to deal with, but if people just knew my heart, they would love me. Let me just tell you something, you're still a jerk. Because nobody can see your heart. We are not going to, you know, do open heart surgery and determine that you're a good person when the only thing hanging off of your limbs is a bunch of hatred and anger and sarcasm and vileness and all this other nonsense. But then you want to hide behind this concept like you have a good heart. Nobody cares about how good your heart may or may not be if the fruit on your tree is poisoning everybody around you. So the fruit is what we know you by. Same thing when it comes to worship. When you worship, look, the Bible says God, do you see this scripture here? It says the Father is looking for this. That means he's looking to see who is worshiping in spirit and in truth. He is pursuing us while we are in pursuit of him. 
So when we worship in spirit and in truth, he begins to, the Bible says, invade or inhabit or be enthroned or sit amongst the praises of his people. But first off, there needs to be some passion. Now, it doesn't have to look like everybody else. It doesn't have to look like anybody around you. But there ought to be something that validates that you actually believe what you say about God. You ought, there ought to be something that validates that you actually do believe he is smarter than you. That he is more powerful than you. Because you're, you're going to go through life and, and people, are, people are looking. But it also says God is looking. He's looking for people who worship him passionately and worship him in truth. Everybody say truth. Truth means worship him in Jesus. Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Let's say that together. The way, the truth, and the life. So what he said is, he's looking for people who worship passionately uh, with regard to the Holy Spirit, but who worship in Jesus. Now, before Jesus was saying this, they could not have been in Jesus because Mary had not delivered the, uh, uh, the Son of God to planet Earth yet. So what he was saying now is, now I am here. I'm about to give my life. I'm about to raise from the dead. And you're going to have the opportunity, the Bible says, to get clothed or wrapped in or enveloped in Christ Jesus so that now you can actually go to the throne room of God. And the Bible says you don't have to walk in sheepishly based off everything you've done, you can walk boldly to the presence of God and make your request known unto him, not because of what you've done, but because now you are in Christ Jesus. So when you walk in, God doesn't see everything you've done. He simply sees the blood of his only son. And now you can make your request known unto him. So he's looking for people to worship, not just passionately, but also in the truth of who Jesus is. If somebody says they serve God and they say that it's the same God we serve, but they do not say that Jesus is his son, that is not our God. Our God has a son, one, the only begotten. Everybody else is adopted. You and me, the Bible says we have been grafted in. We could not be born into the family of God because we all come from the seed of Adam. So we all had to be born again into the family of God. Is any of this making sense to you? So what happens is, is we worship in spirit and in truth. And when we worship in spirit and in truth, we end up seeing God move. But we can't worship, we've learned over the last few weeks, as if God might show up. He is not a liar. If we praise him, he will come. But worship comes from a very special place. It comes from the heart. I can't worship him for you. You can't worship him for me. It's one of the only things that I can give him that you cannot give him for me. So literally, he's looking for people to worship in spirit and in truth, but in, in, in the context of the knowledge that he's actually going to inhabit or sit amongst the praises of his people... He's also looking for that chair. Can you see where it says he is seeking? That means he's looking for that place to reside. More than you want to sense his presence, he wants to be close to you. More than you could ever imagine. And a lot of times we don't need our fear to go away as much as we just need his presence. 
See, we need the presence of the Lord because the closer we can get to our God, to our Father, the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God himself, the closer we can get, the less any of the things that scare us affect us. It's not like everything has to change. He changes everything. So the scripture says spirit and in truth, but in that process, as you live your life, you're going to come up with a a few different opportunities to worship God. You're going to worship God on the mountaintop. That's when everything's going good. The reason it's important to worship on the mountaintop is because the mountaintop is one of the easiest places to forget that he's the one that took you there. When everything gets good, and I see it, I've been a Christian nearly my whole life. And, and been a church, uh, a pastor now for almost, almost seven years. But, you know, I watch people come and go and come and go and come and go. And a lot of times they'll come and their, their life is just in disarray. And they start to follow after the things of God. They start to follow after the, the word of God. They start to get committed to the house of God because, you know, the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Like the church is not a, a good idea somebody came up with one day. It's God's plan for rescue. And so a lot of times I see people get committed to the house of God, get committed to the things of God. And then uh, everything that was going wrong starts to turn around and then they end up coming up and they, they find themselves on a mountaintop. And it's them whenever what got them there is easy to forget. And pride sometimes can sneak in. And you start thinking, boy, I did it, didn't I? Look what I did. Now, the challenge with that is an unjust balance is an abomination to God. And if you think you got yourself to the mountaintop, then you have to think it's your fault when everything goes bad and you will live in condemnation. So if you're going to pat yourself on the back when everything goes good, you have to flog yourself on the back when everything goes bad. None of this is the will of God. The Bible says that he has made you the head and not the tail. He has blessed you coming in and going out. So on the mountaintop encounter, when things are good, uh, 100%, we should magnify God, but it's in that time when we magnify God and we thank him for what he has done and for what he is going to do and we give him praise and we thank him for the fact that he's changing situations and we don't forget it was him that actually made the mountain we're standing on. Well, is worship what you thought? We're just really diving into it. But I want you to know, worship is one of the greatest opportunities for a believer. The Bible says that God will literally inhabit the praises of his people. It's like we're building him a chair to sit in. Is your worship a chair worthy for our God? It's a challenging statement. We're going to jump right back to the message, but I want you to stay tuned. At the conclusion of today's episode, I have a short message that I want to talk to you about right at the end of service. I want to talk to you about what it means to get the gospel around the world and how you can literally partner and help us spread the message of Jesus Christ and his kingdom all over the planet. The second opportunity is in between mountain and valley. This is the process time. This is where culture wins because culture trumps almost everything. You can have the most miraculous encounter with God, 
But if you go back to the same culture that had you stuck in the mud, you will eventually just drift back to what you were before. Because your culture just sucks the life out of you. Your culture either gives you life or sucks life out of you. So in the in between the, the valley and the, the mountain, that's when your culture wins. That's whenever you stay faithful. That's when you refuse to quit. That's when you refuse to back off. That's when you refuse to stop praying. But at the end of it, it's in between where your culture wins, whichever way you're going. Discipline. Discipline to serve God, discipline to worship God, discipline to be, to get yourself involved in a life group. He said, well, I don't have time for a life group. No, you got too much other stuff going on then because you got to change your culture. You want to see your family change, change everything. Don't change something in between the mountaintop and the valley is when culture wins. That's why the Bible says, he said, go into all the world, make disciples. That word disciple means disciplined one. Discipline, it, it insinuates that you do something you wouldn't naturally do. Because if what you were naturally doing was getting everything you wanted, you wouldn't be sitting here today. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Bible says, gives us an opportunity to change our entire culture. For some of you, if you were raised in church around godly people, you ought to kiss their feet and thank them for raising you in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Some of you who were not raised around godly people, you ought to kiss the face of Jesus every morning and thank him for setting your feet on a solid rock. But you got the opportunity to change your culture and begin to live live contrary. Listen, all you got to do is read the news. This is not the same time frame that it used to be. Everything is different. Everything is changing and your culture will win out. Whatever your culture is, So if your culture is to go to the house of God and just clock in, clock out like it's some kind of a time clock and then go live like everybody else Monday through Friday, you're going to be drastically disappointed and you eventually blame God when the truth of it is it's because you didn't live any different between the valley and the mountaintop that you did not encounter him in the process. Therefore, he got off of your radar and you end up going, where is God when the whole time he's going, I am seeking those who will worship me in spirit and in truth. You want to see your whole family change? You change. You want to see your entire life shift? Make him the focal point, the center point, the dead center, the ultimate goal. Every part of your life point to him and you will see him show up. You know, God bless everybody that, that waves the banner of Christ. But there has to be a culture change. You are not a part of the kingdom of the world when you uh, get inside of Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean that we don't function in the world. It doesn't mean that we don't do business in the world. It doesn't mean that we don't go to school in the world. It doesn't mean that we don't educate and be educated in the world. But what it means is we are counterculture. No person drowning needs you to drown beside them to prove that you love them. They need you from the safety and rescue vessel of Christ Jesus to throw them a line and pull them in. Because if you go and roll in the same mud that they're rolling in, you're both just filthy. 
But if you stand out and say, there's another way and I'm not it, the way, the truth and the life is Jesus. And if you will follow him, he will give you a completely different life. But between the mountaintop and the valley, it takes a culture shift that, in, that completely encapsulates the concept of worship in between the bad times and the good times. We still worship. It's what we do. So you stop coming to church just to take. You come to church to give him your worship. You walk in, you say, I can't wait until I can pour my worship out on the one who changed my entire eternity. And then then something begins to pour out of you. This is in between the mountaintop and the valley. And the third place is the valley. And this is the part that takes the most maturity. It takes the most maturity because it requires a sacrifice of praise. Everybody say sacrifice. When you offer God a sacrifice of praise, it means God is trusting you to endure something. Some of you are going through something and you're going, why me, God? And God's saying, because I trust you to go through it. But sometimes all you have is a sacrifice of praise. And a sacrifice is real interesting because we don't talk about sacrifice much in 2019, especially in relation to biblical terms. Because in biblical terms, when it said sacrifice, it would be a specific reference, at least metaphorically, to the sacrifices that were made at the temple or to God. So what they would have is, depending upon the sins that you had committed or, or, or the things that you had omitted, the things that you had done, there would be a different sacrifice to atone for your sin. So for instance, if, if you... You know, did one thing, you, you would sacrifice a dove. If you did another thing, you would sacrifice a pigeon. Another thing would be this. It would be different types of sacrifices that were necessary to atone. So there were all these animals that were ready to be sacrificed. But let me just give you a clue. The animals were not looking forward to it. As a matter of fact, if, you, if it was necessary for you to sacrifice, say, a dove, you would not walk up to the bird cage where all the dove are flying around and have not one of them would come up and say, ooh, pick me, pick me. Because no animal in the history of the world has ever volunteered to be sacrificed. A sacrifice of praise requires something to die. And when you offer up a sacrifice of praise, sometimes you're saying, you know what? I'm about to kill all the unbelief I've got. And I'm going to believe God anyway. I'm about to take all this doubt that's been riddling me all week and trying to make me think that God's not going to do it and I'm going to throw it on the altar of God and I'm going to lift up a sacrifice of praise and I'm going to decree and I'm going to declare and I'm going to decree and I'm going to declare that God is going to make a way where there is no way. He's done it before. He'll do it again and I'm not going to back off of it and I don't care what anybody says to me. It's a sacrifice of praise. And let me just tell you this, and I mean this like, as nice as it could be worded. I don't know if I'm going to word it nice, but as nice as I could. Like, stop being shocked that your flesh fights you on it. Of course your flesh fights you on it. Your flesh is like a zombie that raises from the dead every morning to war against you. To try to stop you from magnifying God. To try to stop you from worshiping God. 
to remind you of everything you've done. Here's one, to remind you of what everybody's done to you. To try to make you hesitant to worship God. You can't worship God. You haven't felt God in a week. You haven't felt God in a month. You haven't felt God in six months. You can't worship God. You see, the reality is maturity doesn't require feeling him to worship him. Little babies, when they're little, they either cry or they laugh or they're quiet. That's it. And it's almost always based off what they are feeling in a given moment. But if every time something doesn't go your way and you're 30 years old and you ball up and cry, you got a problem. Because the immaturity that was allowed when a baby is a baby is not tolerated as you mature. And as you mature, what you enjoy changes. And that's a good thing. But when you're a little kid, you just want to go play. You go get in the yard, you run around, skip and jump, and you enjoy the yard. But as you get more mature, you want to see something actually take place, and that becomes your enjoyment. A kid just running and jumping is their enjoyment. But, but most of the times we get older, running and skipping through the yard and picking up a dandelion and, and waving everywhere, that doesn't give you the same enjoyment that it used to give you. Some of you are like, well, it does me. Well, you just keep right on doing that. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but as you get older, you start to want to see something accomplished. So, for instance, this might not be you, but you do know somebody like this if it's not you. Some people like to mow the yard. Some people do. I talk to them all the time. Man, I love it. I got out there on my tractor. I mow that thing. Woo, it's hot, but that's all right. I'm talking to the Lord the whole time. I'm mowing. I like weed eating. I edge and make it look real nice. And then they want to go sit on the porch and just look at everything they've done. Same yard. Kid don't want to mow nothing. Kid just wants to skip in it. But if there's not somebody with some maturity that can cut the grass... The one that is still immature, not in a negative sense, they're just getting started in life, won't have a safe place to play. So we need both sides of it, but it takes the ability to lift up a sacrifice. See, it's no sacrifice for a kid to skip and jump through the grass, but it is a sacrifice for you to go out there and crank that lawnmower and push it all around the yard for two and a half hours, wash the thing off, edge the thing, make the thing look sharp, and then all of a sudden the kids are sitting there playing in it. It took a sacrifice for you to make that happen. See, it's a sacrifice of praise. But what happens when we worship and we offer up a sacrifice of praise is it is telling God, I value you more than I value or I give concern to my circumstances. And when you do that, he shows up because what happens is, is the devil is terrified of your God. And when you praise him, whether it is in, in a, from a place of sacrifice or whether it is from a place of of, of uh, joy from the mountaintop or whether it's from a place of discipline in between the valley and the mountaintop and it's just a normal old Tuesday, when you decide to worship and magnify God, he inhabits the praises. He shows up and when he shows up, he terrifies your adversary. 
The devil has nothing to say when Jesus walks in. The devil has nothing he can do to you when Jesus is close to you. When, when things begin to shift and then what happens, here's what a sacrifice of praise does. It confuses your adversary. The devil doesn't even know how to, what, what, how to even handle you anymore. All of your circumstances are subordinate to the name of Jesus. And when you lift up that beautiful, holy sacrifice of praise, many of you are there today, but you can lift up a sacrifice of praise that only comes from a place of maturity. Almost like a little smirk. Like you know, he might not have done it yet, but he's going to make a way. I might not have seen him yet, but he's going to make a way. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode on worship. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I pray it's challenged you. You know, worship, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. One translation indicates it's like we're building a chair for him to sit in. So here's something that you might think about. Is your worship building a chair that is worthy for our God? I know it can be challenging. I know it's a great time of reflection. But we ought to pour ourselves on him like he was willing to pour himself out for us. Listen, I am so thankful that you've tuned in. And next week, I have a great episode ready for you. But I want to talk to you for just a minute about partnership. See, this message of the kingdom needs to go around the world. The Bible says that whenever we partner together, that we are partakers of the same grace. That means that even though I'm standing on the other side of a camera, preaching and teaching the word of God, when you partner with me, every grace that is on this ministry gets on your house. When somebody gets born again, you're a partaker of that grace. When uh, something good happens for somebody because they begin to believe the gospel of the kingdom through this ministry, you're a partaker of that grace. I salute all my partners. I thank you for helping me get this message out. But maybe you'd like to become a partner today. Go right now to brianhallam.com and you can sign up today to be a partner. You'll find other resources there, other teachings. But it's something that's very special to me because when we partner together, we are stronger than we would be alone. God bless each and every one of you. God bless my partners and those who are choosing to be today. But maybe you would say this. Maybe you would say, you know what? I don't even know who this Jesus is. Well, let me just tell you quickly, he loves you very much. If you've never given your life to him, I want to lead you in a prayer today. Just say this after me. Say, oh God, I come to you now and I ask you to save me. Write my name in your book. I believe Jesus died and rose from the dead for my victory. I'm a Christian now. I repent of my sins. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, I believe you've been born again. Get yourself in a good Bible-believing church. If you're in Texas, in the College Station area, come out to my church, New Heights Church. 
I promise will make you feel right at home.